0: We want to turn our attention to God's word. Um, Peter? Oh, there you are.
1: This is a reading from Leviticus. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and its cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part of the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defy yourselves with swarming things that crawl on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall, therefore, be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our fortress and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we get into a little bit more of the crazy of Leviticus. So no shrimp, no bacon, but yes, locusts. Yes to locusts. Uh, I heard one speaker liken the book of Leviticus to the crazy uncle in your extended family. So like Christians love to treat this book like this is the crazy uncle in the broader books of the Bible, where it's like, you know the uncle's out there, you're embarrassed, you don't invite him to the, to the wedding, you hope he doesn't show up and crash the wedding and drink too much and say things that embarrass you, right? That's what people think about when this book. I mean, it's, this is just the start. We're diving into the crazy this week, and it'll get way more so next. Um. This morning, we're looking at the food laws, the dietary restrictions and requirements for the people of Israel. And this isn't a chapter, though, of what would Jesus eat? I'm not going to talk about, like, should you be vegan or paleo, Costco or Whole Foods, uh, McDonald's or Be Good? That's not what this is about. In fact, this is my point, actually. The food laws are really not about food. And we're going to look this morning, uh, three sections really, really simply Um, explanation, what's the motivation, and then what's the application. So kind of like the what, the why, and then how, or how does this matter to us? So explanation of the food laws. So from the get-go, I need to say two things by way of sort of a a caveat, a broad statement across the front. First is, this is not what you think it is. It's not what you think. Um, You know. First, so why are there so many rules in Leviticus? Why are there so many rules? I mean, we are a people who hate rules and regulations. For example, if you went to a swimming pool this summer and there were more than maybe two rules on the board, you didn't read them. I can almost guarantee you didn't read them because we don't like rules and regulations. And if it's more than like two or three, we glaze over, we skip it, and we move on. So what's the point of all the rules and regulations? I want you to just remember that you are not the people who first received this book. This book of Leviticus was written to a group of people who had been in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt for 400 years. That is 20 generations. And something happens to a people that have been in that kind of a of a society ordered that way for that long. If you've ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, Red talks about people being institutionalized, where after a while they don't know how to live on the outside. And these people are in that place. 400 years of slavery, never having choices about what you eat, where you go, your schedule, what you do. These people have been institutionalized. And so God's provision of all of these requirements and regulations and rules, this is not about curbing their freedom. This is about giving them rails to run on. These people did not know how to have a society, how to relate to other people, what you eat, how you order your day, how you think about time, how you think about relationships and marriage and all those things. And this book was a tremendous provision for people who had to be taught how to be human again. So this is not what you think it is. This isn't about works righteousness. It's not about curbing freedom. It's about survival for some ex-slaves trying to be a society again. Second thing I want to say is these categories are not what you think they are. See, they're gonna, this, this chapter introduces a category that we're going to see in a lot of Leviticus that is one that we don't think of and we actually might even think of as abusive. The category of clean versus unclean. That sounds really harsh to us, but again, it's not what you think. The clean versus unclean are not about moral purity. They're not about sin and wickedness or righteousness or not sin. They are about what we would use the language today of being something that's appropriate or not appropriate. If you're a parent, those are some of your favorite words. That is not appropriate behavior for this restaurant, right? See, what we're saying is there is something fitting to a particular context, and God is giving these, these rules and regulations for them, not for them to prove, like, if I do them, I'm sinless, but this is what's appropriate for people who know me. This is what's appropriate for people who follow me, and there are good reasons behind these. So think of it this way. So, um, every culture has customs that are particular to that culture. Some cultures say it is inappropriate to wear shoes inside the house. You will not be arrested if you wear shoes inside someone's house because it's not a law. It's a custom. They're saying it's not fitting. that's not appropriate. Uh, we, have, we have all kinds of things about um, how you greet people, how you dress. I didn't wear my white pants because it's after Labor Day, right? Like we, you, I don't have white pants, okay? just, um, But custom and code like that are about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And, and in general, so here are, the, here are the, the food laws that are given here. Let me just kind of make sure. There are three classes of animals given in this passage, and we've only printed the first part because this is Super, super detailed, and we would have been here a long time reading it. But it makes for a fun afternoon reading on a Sunday. So um, verses 1 through 8 are about land animals. Then you get verses uh, 9 through 12 about water animals. And then 13 through 23 about air animals. And so here's the classifications. On the land, you heard this in just a moment as we read this. There, uh, what's, a, what's clean, what's considered clean, appropriate food for you, is an animal that chews cud, and has a cloven hoof. Okay, chews cud, cloven hoof. And an animal that chews cud, but does not have a cloven hoof, no, no, no. An animal that doesn't chew cud, but has a cloven hoof, again, no, no, no. So I know some of you are disappointed, no camel, right? No camel, uh, no rock badgers. I know you're all interested in eating that, no. That's, uh, uh, then verses 9 through 12, the water, we didn't didn't preach this, I didn't read this part. so, in the water, verses 9 through 12, fish and scales are fair game, but, uh, sorry, fins and scales are fair game. So fins with no scales, not okay. Scales with no fins, not okay. So again, no lobster, no sushi, no eel, not, you're not eating that for lunch today, okay? So like that's what's defined in the water animals. And then in air animals, lots of birds, but not birds of prey. So Sorry, those of you who have gotten a taste for bat or owl, that's not on the list. Um, Also, yes to some insects. So, um, the ones that have forelegs and then jointed back legs, like crickets and locusts, but I'm sorry, no spiders, okay? No spiders. So, um, and then finally, a couple other subcategories nothing dead, you can't, or in touch with death, and pretty much anything that swarms. On the ground, in the water, in the air. So, um, again, this isn't about righteousness and wickedness. This isn't about moral purity. Uh, in giving these laws, it never says you're righteous in God's sight if you eat this way, you're unrighteous if you don't. This is a category we don't traffic in clean and unclean. See, uh, they're not morally pure. So, so if that's, the case, what, what are they about? Well, I'm going to give some bad explanations and some better ones. Because I think some of you have been exposed to some of this before. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, What are some bad answers for them? Like what's behind the the motivation for the food laws? Here's a couple of things that are unhelpful. Um, First, it's been argued that this is about hygiene, that this is about animals that will not get you sick. But the reality is Eating uncooked pork and eating uncooked beef can both give you E. coli and salmonella. And, and the, you know, Jesus comes along, we'll talk about this later, and undoes the dietary restrictions. And it's not like between 15th, you know, the, the 15th century B.C. and the 1st century A.D., lots of things had changed with regard to trichinosis. I mean, like, you know, there's not a whole lot to change. This can't be about hygiene. It's got to be something more. Um, Second idea that's not helpful. Some people have advanced, well, this is maybe about cultic practices. So, like, the surrounding nations, uh, maybe they sacrificed some animals and other ones are not. And, like, this is identifying um, certain animals associated with pagan gods, and it's not about that. But but the reality is that um, the surrounding cultures sacrificed some of the same kinds of animals as Israel. That didn't work either. Um, Third it's been argued that some animals were understood symbolically, and here's what I mean by that, uh, because of its behavior. So an animal's clean because it's a behavior, because of what it does. For, so, for example, an animal that chews its cud reminds us that we should be people who are chewing on God's Word, meditating. Right, you're, you're laughing, right? Because that's, right? it doesn't make any... Or like, you know, we're not to be like pigs who wallow in the filth, right? You know what? We're not supposed to be those... But, see, that only works with a couple of the animals on this list. It's hard to draw those out. Again, speculation. Last bad answer is this is completely arbitrary. This is like your dad who said, because I said so. And here's, here's what's the problem with that. Um, it, it, the, least, the least of which is that God in this passage, in verses 44 and 45, actually gives an answer. He says, do these things because I'm holy. It's not arbitrary. Now, we, you may not be able to connect those dots real easy and be like, well, oh, this is what this has to do with God's holiness." But, like, it's not ever just an arbitrary God says it, we should do it. There are reasons. So if, if that, those are bad answers, are there better ones? And, yeah, I have, I have three for you. Um, first is, in many cases, the food laws have to do with an association with death. And God is always on team life, okay? Um, so, for example, a lot of the unclean animals on the list are carnivores or scavengers. And God is represented over and over in Scripture as the God who is about life. And death, this is unique to Christian theology, is like this is, death is unnatural. Death is an enemy. Jesus Christ comes to undo the powers and forces of death. God is not about death. And therefore, the animals that appear on your plate are to reflect that. You have this performance art on your plate at dinnertime where animals who are about the taking of life or feeding upon something that's already dead are not to appear on your plate because God is about life. Um, Second, and this is also helpful, food distinguishes people groups. Food always distinguishes people groups. And so part of the functions of the food laws were to prevent Israel from having dinner with the surrounding countries. So, for example, um, Israelites could eat beef while Egyptians did not. Arab foods include the camel and the hare and the mouse, which Israel didn't eat. Canaanites ate pork, which Israel did not and, and food, still to this day, we associate different foods with different people groups. Um, kimchi, Korean, uh, injera, Ethiopian. Like, we, we, have, we know that food groups distinguish a group of people. And God's setting apart particular food laws. is one thing to say, like, you are to be different. You are to be distinct, and your menu is to reflect that. And you're not supposed to take on the practices of other countries around you. So those are two helpful ones, but by far the best one and the most important one that I want you to understand is that it's about holiness. It's about holiness. And I want to credit um, a woman, Mary Douglas, who's a British anthropologist for, for this. She's written a book called Purity and Its Dangers. And here's the main idea, her kind of thesis statement, which is, individuals will conform to the class to which they belong. I know, it's queer as mud. So let me explain what that means. Uh, here, here's what she says. For the Israelite, the standard land animal was an animal that, as we read there, chews cud and has a cloven hoof. That includes cattle, sheep, goats, and animals that don't fit those categories are sort of sharing multiple categories and don't fit. So, for example... Um, like sheep, cattle, goats, deer, cloven hoof, chew cud, they're in. Gazelle, chew the cud, have a cloven hoof, they're in. But other animals which don't meet those specifications are sort of outside the category. They span more than one category. In the same, same way, they had a concept of an ideal bird. An ideal bird is one that sits on a tree branch. Sings, eats birds, eats nuts and berries. Right. So, ideal birds include the kind of birds that we think of as ideal birds. What's our state bird? The cardinal, right? But not vultures, not seagulls. Like those are not part of this ideal bird category. Um, In the same way, we have an ideal of what a fish is ideally, and their ideal was, in same extent today, is a marine animal that glides through the water, has fins and scales okay? So, virtually all such animals have… have you, you, let me think about this. So, like, even today in our category of seafood, it's hard for us to think of clams as fish, right? And we sort of think of them as that's kind of different. See, they thought that same way. Even in our modern diet, we're like, there's a difference between salmon and carp, right? We have a, we have a pecking order to these things. Um, and, you know, this is why something like eel doesn't make the cut. It, it doesn't have, it, it swims, it has fins, but it doesn't have scales. That's why like lobster doesn't show up. Um, see, the same principle applies to insects, which is kind of gross to us, but like locust, crickets, that's the ideal insect. Four legs, two, two in the back, two more that are hinged, the big ones, that's ideal. Spiders don't fit. So what I want to show you is the food laws were not about food at all. They're actually about they're a high-level performance art that's about purity of form. Purity of form. Uh, 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 on your plate, every meal, you look, at some, you look at the foods that you eat, and they say, this is what God is like. Purity of form. This is because holiness with an H. is a big idea. Okay, Holiness with an H is very closely linked in the Bible to wholeness, with the a W. H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S, holiness, is very closely associated in the Bible with wholeness, with a W, being a whole person or a whole thing. So what is of one type or category that is clean? What sort of seems to span more than one category is unclean. So for example, geckos, Geckos have scales like a fish, and they crawl on the land. You don't eat them. I know that's disappointing, right? Yeah, but you don't, eat, you don't touch the gecko because of that. Uh, you don't touch the eel because of that. No, You don't touch the camel, the pigs. They, they span more than one type. And therefore, like the animals that are the pure forms, the pure ideal forms, those represent something about God. God is pure. God is all the way down pure. And he wants his people in their palate, for crying out loud, to reflect that. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's kind of, it kind of blows our minds. See, this is what God's like. And God wants your plate to show off for the Israelites. This is what your God is like. Now, application for us. How in the world does this apply to us? Well, the good news on the one hand is it doesn't. Right, you can have whatever you want for lunch today because in the Bible we know that Jesus comes along and overturns the food laws. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus shows up and he says this. He called the people to him and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside of, of a person that going into him can defile him. But the things that come up out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people's disciples, asked him about the parable and he said to them, Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Mark says, thus he declared all foods clean. See, Jesus is underscoring this very same thing in your Bible. Look, the food laws were never meant to be a means of your righteousness before God. The way the Israel ate was never meant to be a production mechanism for them to be righteous. It was supposed to be a visual aid to say, this is what God is like. God is pure, God is holy. In Acts chapter 10, you get a second statement on the all clean foods. So here's Peter one of the 12 disciples, now a leader in the early church. The gospel at this point has gone just to the Jews, but Peter has a dream, and, and he's, he's invited over to this guy's Cornelius house, and, he, and as, before he's about to go over, this guy's a Gentile. He has a dream where God shows him all the animals, and he says, go take and eat. And Peter, in the dream, is like, surely not, Lord. Some of these are unclean animals that I'm looking at here. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And Peter wakes up and understands, oh, the Gentiles now, who beforehand were sort of unclean people, are now being welcomed in. God is saying, look, um, the food laws are now fulfilled in Jesus, and the span of your diet is supposed to look like the span of my kingdom now. And all these groups are welcomed in. See, Peter struggled with this later. He shows up in the book of Galatians, and um, he doesn't want to eat with some people who were of Gentile background. And Paul, brand new convert, opposes him and says, Look, the basis of your righteousness with God isn't based on your food. It's based on Jesus. You're supposed to be eating with these people now. That What God has once called unclean is now clean. See, P- what Peter was doing in that moment is what Christians do all the time. We reverse the order. Christians do this all the time. Where we're like, oh, it's my doing of these things that makes me acceptable in the sight of God. This is what gets me in. My observing particular rules and regulations, me acting like, trying to be a good person, that's what gets me in. But see, that's never what the gospel has been about from the Old Testament to the New. The Old Testament to the New declares to us, it's God who makes us clean, who declares us righteous in His sight, and therefore calls us to live a holy life, not the reverse. This is why we, we struggle. Christian life always says, look, You are clean through the work of Christ in you on the cross. In his death and his resurrection from the dead, that's yours by faith. You are made clean. Now go live in the cleanness. This is why we see this in verse 45. The end of this chapter, um, we read here, I, the Lord, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, you will therefore be holy because I'm holy. Not try to be holy and then I'll bring you in. This is already true for you. See, our hearts always want to mix up the gospel and reverse the order. Second, yes, there's an application for how you eat today. You know, what we should eat is a question of discipleship. Americans have a very complicated relationship with food. If, you, know, you know the trends. We overeat. It's called gluttony. We undereat. Uh, we use foods in ways that are never meant to be used to deal with our emotions, uh, to, to, to make ourselves look a particular way. Um, we obsess about food, and we're even self-righteous about food. <laughs> you know, uh, I love Jim Gaffigan, a uh, stand-up comedian. He says this in his stand-up about McDonald's. He says, I'm tired of people acting like they're better than McDonald's. It's like you've never set foot in a McDonald's, but then you have your own McDonald's. Maybe instead of buying a Big Mac, you read Us Weekly. Hey, that's still McDonald's. It's just served up a little different. Maybe your McDonald's is telling yourself that Starbucks Frappuccino is not a milkshake. <laughs> or maybe you watch Glee. Okay, it dates it a little bit, right? Um, but this is what he says. It's all McDonald's. McDonald's of the soul. Momentary pleasure followed by incredible guilt eventually leading to cancer. And I love it. <laughs> But look, our, we can be self-righteous about it. And, and man, this happens all the time. And yet our discipleship should include our eating. Food is essential to how we live, to how we function. But in this cultural moment and in this place and in this congregation, man, we love food. We love to talk about food. We love to talk about where to get new, good food. We have to talk about the place next door that serves lots of new foods. We are evangelistic about food more than anything else, and it makes me wonder sometimes, do we really think that bread is the bread of life rather than Jesus? Because we act like that. We act like bread is the bread of life. Lauren Winner, a Christian writer, says this, "'God cares about our dietary choices. That should come as no surprise.'" If you, you only have to read the first two chapters of Genesis to see God's concern for food. Humanity's first sin was disobedience manifested in a choice about eating. Adam and Eve were allowed to eat anything they wanted except for the one fruit that they chose. And the New Testament makes it clear that God cares about the most basic aspect of our lives. This is a God who is interested in how we speak, how we handle our money, how we carry our bodies. He's also interested in how we live with food. What does your relationship with food tell you about your relationship with Jesus? Is that an area of discipleship for you? Finally, and most importantly, and this is the big idea I've been trying to get to, and we're going to talk a, a lot over the next couple of weeks when we get into the other clean laws. The, the clean laws, like I said, it's not really about food. It's really about what we see in verse 47 making distinctions. Read with me verse 47. See, this is what he says, this is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make distinctions between the unclean and the queen, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. See, the, the Israelites were to make distinctions in their diet to make choices between what was clean and unclean, between what is appropriate for those who identify with this God and what's not appropriate for the people who identify with this God. See, remember, the clean laws weren't about righteousness and wickedness. They were not about a performance that you do that curries God's favor. It was about living and showing off in your diet and showing off in the everyday meal of what's on your plate, of what God is like, and what's appropriate for you in living in relationship with that God what is really appropriate. It's about making distinctions in the small things. This is all about what discipleship is. For us, New Testament Christians following Jesus means we also are called to make distinctions over and over about what is appropriate, about what is fitting to knowing Jesus Christ and being freed from our sins and being set free to live a new life with Him, with this group of people, what's appropriate? And it's all about making distinctions in the very smallest parts of our lives. See, if this God is holy, you are to be holy, pursuing a life of holiness. Not, Let's be honest, it's really not the big stuff. It's all the little stuff. It's all the little bitty things. It's all in the small, daily, boring, uh, trivial, hey, what's for dinner? That's where life happens. That's where learning to live with distinctions really matters. See, God is one in the first page of the Bible who makes distinctions. Light, dark, land, sea, sky. You know, He makes these distinctions. And so to follow Him, this is true throughout Leviticus, His people are to learn to make distinctions. It's chapter 10, chapter 11. We're going to keep going with this. See, this is in the ordinary and the everyday. Horatius Bonar, one of my favorite dead Scottish preachers, probably yours, he summed it up this well. He said, "Um, holiness is not measured by one great heroic act of mighty martyrdom. It's of the small things that a great life is made up. The small choices. You know, uh, Paul Tripp a current writer, he's sort of rewritten that statement. He says it this way. We all live in an endless series of little moments. The character of a life isn't set in 10 big moments. The character of a life is set in 10,000 little moments of everyday life. It's the themes of struggles that emerge from those little moments that reveal what is going on in our hearts. Man. You know what a GoPro camera is? You know, it's one of those cameras they put on their helmet and you ride your BMX bicycle down the like giant ramp and do flips and you know, it makes you kind of sick watching the video. Uh, you know, GoPro is meant to like follow an active life around. What if I mounted a, a GoPro to your hat for the week and filmed your little moments? You know, the how you talked to a coworker. What'd you listen to in the car? What were you worried about in the middle of the night? How you answered that child? Um, How you related to your spouse or your parents? Uh, How you related to your boss? If if we could film all those things, the 10,000 little moments of this week, and then next weekend got together, got some popcorn, sat on the couch, and we watched the movie, what would it tell us? Would it, what kind of a God would it say that you worship, that you're following? See, are you making distinctions? Are you learning to like live in like, this is what's fitting to a life that I now have being cleansed by Jesus and trying to follow him and understand what it means to be holy? See, this is because holiness with an H is closely, closely related to holiness with a W. It's closely related. See, it's the direct trajectory of your life moving more and more to like every moment is sacred because Jesus is with me in it. I've been cleansed by Him. I'm learning to follow Him in the little bitty, the seemingly insignificant. Let me close with this. Um, When I was a kid, my grandparents lived in middle Tennessee and had um, a, a farm. They raised, uh, my, my grandfather was a gentleman farmer and they raised, um, they had like 120 pulled Hereford cattle, which are brown and white white beef cattle. Uh, and we would go to the farm, one of my favorite places to go as a kid, and um, always loved kind of like the farm life. And we'd go back to our home. Um, well, my, my younger brother is five years younger than me. And I remember when he was little, probably four or five. He was just obsessed with the farm and everything about the farm, loved the tractors, loved the cows. And I remember my mom asking him one day, she's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she expected the answer was a farmer. And instead he says, I want to be a cow when I grow up. <laughs> and it's like, what? I mean, this is a unique child. Like, you know, this is a special kid. Um, but can I put it this way? That's not a bad ambition, people of CTK, right? If God says pure forms, choose the cud has the cloven hoof of one type, pure forms, that's what I'm like, and that's what I want you to be like, then maybe all of us should want to be a cow, not a camel. Which way is your life heading? you following him, more and more making distinctions in the small so that he might get great glory. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen.